wanted to, I uh, was caught recalling uh, that um, in, in 2018, some, some people in, in this Sangha made a trip in the summer to uh, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center. And this was in the summer and we were to spend, and we did spend, I think, five days um, uh, working and sitting with uh, the community there. And uh, one thing is that you do when you go to uh, visit Tassajara in the summer as a guest is you check in, and the very next thing is to go to Zazen Instruction in the Zendo. And um, no matter how long you've been practicing, the form is to check in and go to Zazen Instruction. And so our group did go to Zazen Instruction. And we met with uh, a young man named Miles. Oscar was there and he's smiling. He remembers Miles. And uh, Miles, in the course of his instruction, uh, told us that his practice was one of constant contemplation. Constant contemplation. So I thought uh, remembering uh, the that that instruction or that well that wasn't instruction exactly, but that was uh, Miles telling us what what his practice was, and you know he had been doing. Um, you know, practice period at um, at Tassajara. So his his uh, practice was of constant contemplation was greatly aided by the fact that he was called to the Zendo many times during the practice period, uh, so that uh, the momentum of his sitting uh, could become uh, constant. So I thought this is a good theme to begin our session. We'll be doing, uh, some of us anyway, uh, we'll be, and everyone is invited uh, to do a little bit more extra sitting this week um, in um, celebration of uh, this week, which is uh, typically the first week in December. We're not quite there yet, but we have to, Work with uh, the calendar as as it as it as it works for us. So uh, we'll be, we will be in December by the time we finish uh, this, the uh, the retreat in uh, a week or so. So everybody's invited, you know, to do more sitting this week in celebration of Buddha's enlightenment, uh, because typically uh, we celebrate that event. Um, I'm sure somewhat arbitrarily, uh, but um, since, uh, you know, Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha saw the morning star, uh, uh, you know, and uh, his enlightenment experience and the morning star, Venus, is very visible this time of year, also was purportedly guiding some wise men in the Middle East as well. Um uh, so um, this morning star important uh, yeah. 
astronomical feature of the week. Um, so anyway, constant contemplation. And I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, he. Uh, I don't think Miles elaborated on that too much. But uh, when I was thinking about remembering his telling us that was his practice, uh, I thought, oh, I thought of the uh, Metta Sutta, the line that says, uh, standing or walking, sitting or lying down during all one's waking hours. Let one practice the way with gratitude. So this is the idea of, uh, um, you know, ever-present mindfulness, whether you're on your cushion or you're uh, eating or you're going to the toilet. Uh, every aspect of uh, daily life is an opportunity for mindfulness, for being present, for being uh, one, if you will, with your activity. So, you know, when you're eating, just eating. When you're walking, just walking. When you're singing, just sing, and so on. We won't sing. We'll sing a little bit at the uh, in the session when we do the we do the refuges. It's typically uh, how we'll end. We're going to end tonight. I see we took away the mat. It's too bad, uh, but maybe we can put it back for the refuges. <laughs> Uh, we, we usually change our orientation in the room, uh, but I thought, mm, let's keep it kind of quiet and tonight. Let's not make too much disturbance uh, because that's the kind of feeling that we hope to engender uh, during this week. So, um, of course, Miles, as I said, he was practicing at Tassajara and, and, and Miles, and, and Tassajara is a... Is a, is a uh, you could say the uh, ideal environment for uh, practicing uh, constant contemplation uh, because uh, you know throughout the day uh, there are various bells and boards and uh, other signals that um, uh, call you to come to the zendo to sit zazen uh, morning and afternoon and night. Uh, and then, of course, during Sashin, uh, all the time, <laughs> throughout the day, the bell is ringing uh, to call you uh, to the zazen. Uh, so this is the important aspect. This is the important aspect of Sashin. This 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 uh, this word that means uh, gathering the mind. Word that means gathering the mind, and. Um, the important aspect of Sashin is listening for the bell. And uh, when you hear the bell, there'll be an outside bell here. And, um, you know, when you're, on your, when you're at home, there aren't any bells. And nobody else is ringing a bell for you uh, to remind you to come to Zazen. So it's a little more, you have to, you know, set some, some, some sort of schedule. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can do that. But uh, the support of Sashin is that we will have bells, that bells that will call us to come to sit. And when we hear the bell, we have an opportunity to assess our state, 
and uh, say, well, okay, I think I've rested enough. Uh, I think I can just go and sit on my cushion. It'll be fine to do that right now. And so you could consider that kind of practice. You hear the bell, you assess your situation. Uh, am I ready to go into the Zen? Oh, yes, I guess I am. Oh, no, I think I need to do this. Okay, do that. And then come to the Zen bell. So um, that kind of... Uh, that kind of immediate response, that kind of, um, you know, come right now uh, feeling uh, is, is good to bring to Sashin uh, to express your um, interest in, in devotion to constant contemplation. Um, and I also recall preparing for this talk, um, uh, the, the level of my enthusiasm for uh, the schedule uh, when I lived at Tassajara. And I, I did have, uh, I had quite a bit of enthusiasm for the schedule. Um, I, I, I was someone who, uh, uh, just for whatever reason, not necessarily for some, because, you know, I'm some great spiritual being or anything, but for some reason I liked the uh, I liked this idea of just you know um, somebody else deciding what I was supposed to do each day you know somebody you know some some structure from my life and I that appealed to me and and I I felt I felt I could I could live that way and it was it was uh, it suited me to live that way and I remembered. I remembered when I was first, this was many years ago when I lived at Tassajara, but when I first came there, I was being driven by someone uh, bringing supplies, and I was driven over the 14-mile dirt road, and you come to a place in the road um, where, uh, after many twists and turns, you can actually see in the bottom of the valley, and you can see the place where the monastery is. And so it's it's traditional to stop there and, and look down into the, um, it's not the apex. What would be the opposite of an apex? The nadir of the valley? Okay. The, the Anyway, the bottom of the valley. Um, and uh, it is very steep, so it's, you know, it's, 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 it's still a long way down, but you can see the place where Tassahara is. And we got out of the, the truck and I stood there and I, I felt at that moment, I felt this great surge of joy. And uh, I had been at Tassajara the previous summer on a visit and I had a terrible time. It was like awful. It was hot. It was, I just didn't enjoy myself at all. And um, but now I was coming to live there in January when it was you know, very cold and wet and so forth and dark. And I got out and I felt this great joy. And uh, I thought about that, you know, quite a bit. Uh, a few, you know, not quite a bit, but anyway, it occurs to me and I've wondered about it. I've wondered about that, that moment of, uh, you know, of a rising of joy, which, you know, we don't really know, right, why exactly sometimes a, a feeling like that comes up. But I think it—I think it had to do. I mean, at least partly had to do 
with the opportunity to just turn my life over to uh, the practice and to the schedule and to not having to figure out what, you know, to do every, with my life, you know, with, to, to, to make all the decisions that we have to make every day uh, to organize ourselves and, um, and figure out what we're going to do next in our career and life and relationships and so forth. It was just like, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be turning my life over to this schedule and this life. And, you know, I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, and I'm perfectly happy to let go, which, which I had like anxiety in my, in my life about what I should be doing with myself. And uh, here was an opportunity to forget it. <laughs> forget all that. Forget all that figuring things out and wondering and, and trying this and trying that. And just, just go into a situation that was very prescribed. And I was, I was happy with that. I was, I was joyful to do that. Um, and to live that life, you know, the monastic life where I just had to follow the schedule. And um, so I think that, I think the, the arising of joy at that time, uh, you know, did have, you know, quite a bit to do with just the relief of, um, you know, not having to, not having to, um, make those kind of decisions about my direction and so forth. And and sure enough, I lived there for 21 months. And it's not to say I did not have any difficulties while I lived there. I had difficulties. I, I, did, I did have thoughts, for instance, at some point of running away. <laughs> and I think everybody who goes to live there uh, at one point or another uh, thinks about running away uh, because it is, uh, it is not easy to live there, um, you know, very early, wake up in the morning, very little sleep, uh, so forth, uh, hard work, uh, and uh, cold, and um, wet, and so forth, uh, no heat, <laughs> and all the, you know, so there's not easy to live there. Um, but the one thing that I didn't have to deal with was what to do next. That was, uh, there was always, that was always clear. And sure enough, when I when I left there after that time, I was right back in the, of course, the pickle that everybody has about well, what to do, you know, with your with your time and with your life and your livelihood and all of that. But for that period of time, no, I was content to uh, practice. Maybe with Miles, I would have been content. We would have been good buds, and we would have been talking about our practice of contemplation. So, um, I guess that's a little personal history. And now here, here's some here's some Dharma, some Dharma to go along with this portion of personal history, portion of Dharma. Uh, this portion of Dharma is uh, well found in um, 
There's a text called uh, that we, some of us have studied in this song called uh, Vasubandhu's 30 Verses. And there's uh, this, that's one place where this uh, teaching is found that I'm going to talk about. But there are other places uh, in, in the Buddha Dharma where this teaching is talked about. And um, uh, this is uh, uh, called the teaching of the double barrier. And uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the double barrier uh, is uh, said to be, um, um, you know, can be, um, um, well, if not, not surmounted, this is the double barrier is, is, is actually, according to the, um, according to the, the ancient teaching, the double barrier is only surmounted at, completely surmounted at, at Buddhahood. So, uh, but nevertheless, it's confronted by, uh, by us uh, at uh, every stage of our practice. Uh, so the, the, two, the two barriers are, um, in, in Sanskrit, are aklesha, <clears throat> avarana, and uh, jainya. I don't really know how to pronounce it. It's J-Y-N-Y-A. Oh, no, J-Y-E-N-Y-A. If somebody knows how to pronounce if Mio was here, he could really nail it. But it's something like Jainya Avarana. Um, and those two are the double barriers. So uh, that are to be surmounted at Buddhahood, completely uh, eliminated. So Klesha uh, Avarana is, um, the Kleshas are afflictive mental states. Uh, these are mental states that beset us as sentient beings, and uh, they're the they're they're afflictive mental states. So they're the ones that that uh, cause us uh, pain, uh, that um, um, can motivate us to uh, undertake harmful um, action in response. And so they're the things. So so the, and they're and they're mental afflictions, and they don't come. You know, this double barrier does not come from somewhere outside. This 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 barrier comes from within our own body mind. Uh, these these mental afflictions come up uh, within our own body mind, uh, not from outside. Um, and uh, there may be there may be stimulus outside that could um, trigger these things. But it is it is it is the presence of the afflictive um, mental fact you know states or mental um, constructions that uh, allows us to be taken uh, over by them, uh, take uh, dominated by them. And these are things like anger, well you know greed. You know the the three hate and delusion. Those those are always mentioned in the places, uh, and uh, then but then there are many others uh, mentioned. Uh, uh, envy, uh, anger, uh, arrogance, pride. Um, I think I wrote down a few of them. Selfishness. 
fear and anxiety are all clashes, all afflicted mental states uh, that can uh, carry us away uh, and dominate us and and if left unchecked cause uh, great harm, great harm. So that's one of, that's Klesha uh, Avarana and then um, Janya Avarana or Janya Avarana is uh, the cognitive barriers um, or obstructions. The, the, the synonyms for, for Avarana are, are uh, barriers or obstructions or coverings. Coverings. Coverings is, 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 is an interesting one too because these, the, that, that translation is the one I like the best because it's, these are mental and cognitive mm, attitudes that cover our good, our good parts, cover our Buddha nature. So they're not, they're not, uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're not like, um, they're not really, they're not who we are. They, they're not, they're not our, our, our fundamental, our fundamental state is one of, is, is one of goodness. We have, everyone is born, you know, as, as with a good heart. You know, no one is not born with a good heart, but these, these coverings arise and are, um, learned and of course we say uh, they they come from beginningless greed hate and delusion you know beginningless we can't even say you know where what the origin of these kind of you know mental afflictions are they come from beginningless greed hate and delusion beginningless mental afflictions so, so the, anyway, I want to say about uh, the cognitive barrier uh, because this this is this is said to be the most um, subtle and uh, difficult to uh, see and overcome. And this is the this is the barrier um, that is based on the our understanding. Uh, that we have a permanent, fixed, real self. That 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 we have a self, and and this self is um, permanent and fixed, and you know, unamenable to change, unamenable to um, uh, our, mm, you know. It's it's that it's that it's that it's that um, sense in us uh, that we have a permanent self, a real existent self, and and from that misunderstanding that we uh, we possess such a thing. Um, we tend to conc concretize our experience. So 
for instance, uh, if the, um, let's say, um, ecclesia arises like anger, or let's just say anger arises. Uh, if we're practicing, if we're not practicing, <laughs> if we're not practicing constant contemplation, uh, then uh, we can, uh, then, then what can happen is anger arises, an afflictive mental state arises, and we concrete, and, and this, this other barrier says, yes, that's real, and that's, that's, that's totally believable, and that's who I am. That's who I am. I'm an angry person. Or I'm uh, an anxious person. Some feeling arises, we concretize it or reify it, make it it a thing, and then we identify it and with it and say, well, that's who I am. And when we do that, uh, then we are we we are locked. We are stuck. We are stuck because we've identified with um, this uh, feeling or, or a mental state that has arisen, rather than seeing it as um, simply as a mental state that has arisen, and um, analyzing it with our mindfulness, uh, we concretize it make it real and identify with it and and identify ourselves with it and this is the um you know this is this is the um, great source of our suffering our habit of uh concretizing what is uh simply a momentary and it's because of of course the power of some of these clashes. I mean, these, these clashes, these afflictive mental states are very powerful. And if we aren't practicing with them, if we aren't being mindful with them, if we aren't studying them, uh, they can dominate us. They can embroil us. They can take us over. And we know how much harm is caused and we see it every day how much harm is caused by um, people who are unskilled in working with their afflictive emotions. We and so we, you know, this is this is this is the Buddha's teaching is is coming here in this world to say, people, let's become skilled at working with our afflictive emotions so that we catch them very early in their arising. We don't let them, you know, build up and get rolling down the hill. We catch them early in their arising. And that's, that's, that's the uh, power of our mindfulness. But without that, without that kind of practice, uh, so much so much harm can be generated because uh, we can begin to think those things are real and we need to um, we need to attack them you know we need to attack or we need to soothe 
these afflictive um, uh, these afflictive mental states in some really really harmful way. And that's what we we have to be very careful about in all of our actions of body, speech, and mind. Is how skillful we can become with afflictive mental states. And remembering them to not make them into a thing. But the double barrier is real. And again, it's said to be only surmounted uh, at the time of Buddhahood, completely eliminated. <laughs> so this is something, but this, this is something the Bodhisattva is a, an enlightening being, a, a person on the path, uh, can take on as their job description, working with these afflictive emotions and uh, uh, cutting them off just as they arise, acknowledging them and then cutting them off rather than letting, rather than feeding them, rather than letting them get uh, in control of us. So this can be done at a very subtle level and that's what some of what we will be doing in our session, and that's some of what we're doing in our daily practice. We're seeing the arising of uh, uh, delusive thoughts, you know, uh, delusive thoughts uh, that don't serve us, um, and 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 we're becoming skilled. We're becoming very skilled at seeing, you know, our. One thing I'm working with lately is pride, you know, seeing seeing the rising of pride and uh, just really noticing the, you know, the subtle arisings of pride um, and the various little, little prideful stories, you know, that, that, that uh, I can, I can, that can, and, do I come up with them? They they come up, you know. They come up, but they're but they're from this. There's there's a, they're they're just from this uh, unseen, hidden base that we can't really get a hold of. But we can get it. We can see when they come out of the you know uh, out of the base of our life. We can see them, and when we, and then when they surface. Uh, that's when we, that's when we can practice, and we can we can we can say nope, that doesn't serve me, that doesn't serve, and that doesn't serve other people either. It doesn't serve my sangha friends, it doesn't serve the people I live with, it doesn't serve my relatives. Just cut it off. You know, uh, Reb, uh, it recently. Uh, it's been uh, we say in our we say in our uh, uh, closing lecture chant uh, we say beings are numberless I vow to save them and then we say illusions are inexhaustible I vow to end them and lately what Reb has been saying he's changed the words and he says uh, afflictions 
or inexhaustible. I vow to cut through. So this is a good, I like this image. Afflictions are inexhaustible. Our, our uh, you know, delusive ideas are inexhaustible. Our afflictions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through. I think this is a very, we maybe have to change, I think, but uh, we'll see. Um, but I like that image, cut through the afflictive arisings. See them for what they are and ask, do they serve you? Does this serve me? Does this serve my friends? No. Okay, I, I, I abandon it. I relinquish it. I, I'm, I'm, I don't need that. I don't need to follow that train of that afflictive emotion. So it says here, I'll just read this since I wrote it. The Buddha's teaching is here to help convince us that there is another way to meet our afflictive states. Buddhist practice of seated meditation is dropping off the habitual body, dropping off the habitual mind, turning back the light of awareness on our habit of identifying with a self that has always been there and is always understanding itself in a certain fixed way. No. This is our this is our belief anyway. There's always been this me here. Always. Ever since recently we saw some relatives and I saw a picture of myself when I was in my twenties. Very different looking person there. And uh, but you know I'm connected to that person by memory, so I think that self, that person there, is is still this here, but not really, you know, not really in the least, not 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 in the least, very 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 different person, but still we think there's that continuity. We feel that this this self has been going on, or we can think that we can think that way. I was him then, and now I'm. And now I'm me now, and we're connected. And that's the same self that's been going on as far as we can remember. So my next sentence was, yeah, we're supposed to. So uh, turning back the light of awareness on our habit of identifying with the self. The habit, right? <laughs> This can be hard work because this so-called self is really fixed in its fixedness. It's entrenched. This entrenched view of a permanent self is what Buddha faced without fear on the night of his enlightenment. So at the end of our session, we'll be celebrating Buddha's enlightenment. He went through a lot of uh, difficulty before uh, he saw that morning star and completely let go of everything. 
So we'll celebrate his uh, kind of triumph, you know, on the last day of our sushi. Okay, well, I have a whole other page of stuff, but I think it's pretty good right now. Um, I don't know that there's, I think I've said what I came to say. Uh, oh, I guess I should say that, um, though, that um, that, that, mm, Our, our capacity to cut through uh, the double barrier isn't really um, isn't really dependent on um, making it into a project. We don't have to make it into a project actually. We're not really even recommending that. What we're recommending is just um, you know, doing this sitting practice and let what comes come and study it and, 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 uh, you know, we, some people say don't identify with it. But the thing is, you can't, you can't really, you can't really identify with it. You can't get a hold of it. And you'll see that, you see that in your sitting, that it comes and it's powerful and then. I don't know, a few seconds later, you're on to the next. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just watch this process. That's all we have to do. That's what I want to say. So we just have to watch this process of, 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 of all these arisings, afflictive or not. So, you know, we could like also have that joyful arising that I talked about at the beginning. A joyful arising can come. So, you know, lots of stuff can come during our sashim, lots of, you know, uh, President of Sashin once and Norman Fisher said, um, you know, every, every human emotion that ever could be experienced by anybody in the world has happened in this hall today. <laughs> so that's how it is, you know. We can't really, you know, we, we are very creative, but we've, We've kind of invented all the stuff, you know, that we can be afraid of and anxious about and uh, angry about and, and, and all those emotions. We've kind of invented all of those and probably there's no new ones to come, actually. So they're all going to come and, and our practice is just to be there for them, welcoming, hello, you know, there you are, um, and, and, and then practice. Uh, you know, along with that, I like to say, we give ourselves to everything that comes. We like give, com completely giving ourselves to everything that comes and giving ourselves to the object of awareness, giving ourselves to everything that's arising without stint and, um, you know, without uh, grasping and without fear, uh, just just having this posture of open, open uh, through the front of the body, you know, very, very important. Just keep this open. Whatever comes, it's, it's like, you know, there's some arrows. Okay, I'm, 
I'm ready for those arrows. I'll, I will accept whatever comes. And, um, and actually, it seems like the most vulnerable, it's, it's the most vulnerable posture you could take, and yet it's also the most courageous posture you can take. Just to be open and upright and receiving everything that's coming without any, any big program. You don't really need a program. The program will um, come, you know. You'll do what you need to do. You'll be, you'll be available for whatever insights that are coming. You don't need to, you know, gin them up. And, um, and just being ready in this, in this state of readiness. So that's, that's our practice uh, every day, and that's our practice at Sashin, and mm, good luck. <laughs> we have a couple of minutes if there's anything anyone wants to bring up. Oscar? Uh, a question and an observation. The question is, uh, are the prices related to... A uh, question is, um, are the glaciers related to the 12-fold uh, links? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I think that's a... How would you see a, rela uh, a, a relationship there? I really don't know much about the twelvefold links. I've never studied them, um, but there is a uh, an arising of, I think, glaciers, and then um, a description of the psychological downstream effects of that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, just a thought that, was, that that came to me. Um, the observation is. Um, <laughs> um, much along the lines uh, that you uh, laid out. Uh, Reb also sometimes is saying nowadays, like last month, um, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to liberate them. Um, coming from a place, as I understood him, of, uh, well, as I heard him, you know, everything that comes is looking for compassion. He's teaching about compassion now talking about compassion now a lot. So it's not like we want to get rid of them. There are life, actually. Um, but we want to be skillful with them and free them, as I understand it, um, through changing them through our Paying attention to them. They're calling for attention, Brett suggests. I agree. Don't get mad at anger. <laughs> one time, it reminds me of a story. But one time, I mean, this is, this is, this is, um, this is a confession, you know. But uh, one time at Tassara, I, I, I ate too many pancakes on day off. They have, every five days we had a day off and they'd have a good delicious breakfast. And 
uh, one time I ate too many pancakes and I was so mad at myself and I, I just stomped up the road being mad at myself for eating too many pancakes. And uh, I, I don't even know if, if, a, if I, I don't even think ever at Tassahar did I ever think that was a stupid thing to do, you know, not to eat the pancakes, but to stomping up the road, you know. I, I, didn't, I don't think I ever thought, well, that was dumb. No, I thought, I thought I, like, this was the appropriate response. That's what I thought at that time. And this is, you know, how I thought at that time, uh, that, that the appropriate response to eating too many pancakes was to be mad at myself and stomp up the road. Um, so don't be like me, you know, <laughs> when I was, you know, 34 or whatever. So that's when I, I think when I went to Tassara. So, um, you know, absolutely, you know, eating too many pancakes calls for compassion. Your, your poor stomach hurts, that calls for compassion. Be kind to yourself in the presence of your mistakes. I agree wholeheartedly. That actually kind of relates to the question that I was having that um, you have an emotion, say anger or some kind of pain anyway, um, and maybe you you don't want to identify with that, but cutting it off, um, there may be a reason that that emotion arose and maybe there is some other um, it needs to be addressed in some other way um, rather than you know this auto thing that's going on so I just wanted to clarify that or ask you yeah. clarify that well I, I like to I like this uh, his revs um, use of the word cutting through too because cutting through you know that has to me the 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 um, the um, feeling of uh, seeing what this is about. What, what is this about? I need to cut through, and I don't. And and maybe I need to cut because I don't want to express this. You know, I do, What I'm feeling, I don't want to express. I don't want to ignore it either. You know, I don't want to diminish my diminish myself, diminish my the feeling I'm having. Uh, I don't want to make myself wrong for having the feeling. And maybe, you know, there's some ways that I need to work with where this feeling comes from. And of course, maybe there's some action I need to take, but I need to take considered action uh, based that this anger is coming up. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we see some examples of people, you know, taking considered action in the face of harm or in the face of, um, uh, you know, their anger about the harm, and uh, I think that's that's cutting through to say, well, because if you just if you just react to the emotion, um, you have a lot less choices. I think There's, you lose you lose a lot, you lose your choices. Whereas if you you stay with it, cut into it from some different angles, and you might be then able to 
express the underlying hurt or whatever it would be in some in some very you know effective way. You know. And I'm working on that. Thank you very much.